Um, we have been doing the stories before is a series that we've been talking about, and it's the stories before we get to the New Testament. We've been talking about Joseph, and today is the fin finality, finality of Joseph, the story of Joseph. Uh, this is about part six or something like that. If you go back to like our, our YouTube page, you can see where it actually just says like Joseph part one and you know, if you want to catch up and everything. But a, a little where we're at here, a, a very brief uh, synopsis of what's been happening. Joseph, a young person, uh, had um, a number of brothers. He had 11 brothers. He was one of 12. And he was the uh, second to the youngest. And Jacob, the father of them all, really loved Joseph because Joseph was responsible. Joseph was a person that um, led by his heart. He was compassionate. Uh, he wasn't a, a, a very strong, you know, kind of, you know, uh, that type of person. He was more of the, the, the softer side. And uh, Jacob could rely on him. He was, he was born, born older. He had wisdom. And he was responsible and so Jacob relied on him because his other brothers, most of them really weren't responsible. They were violent. Uh, they, they lied often. They, had, they couldn't be trusted. And, and Jacob needed Joseph to go and kind of monitor them sometimes and be their boss. And so this little kid was the boss of a bunch of these brothers, and a lot of these brothers were, were quite a bit older than Joseph were. And the brothers got angry. They started to uh, make fun of Joseph and talk bad about him because he was different, because he was uh, considered special. Uh, and so they con uh, continued to talk negatively about him, and that, and that that's negativity created a fervor, and they started to uh, ignite hatred toward him, uh, so much that they talked about killing him, and what they ended up doing is selling him, selling him as a slave. They uh, captured him, they put him into this kind of like this, uh, this well, this hole in the ground, and then when people uh, from the slave trade came by, they sold him into slavery, sold their brother into slavery, and he was just... Uh, barely a, a teenager at the time. And so the next thing that Joseph realizes is that he is being ripped away from what he knows. He's being ripped away from his family. He's being ripped away from all of his comforts. He's being ripped away from his very life. And he is now the property, the property of the Pharaoh's assistant in Egypt. He starts to get responsibilities because even the person that he is, uh, uh, Pontifar, the person that, that basically owns him, sees that he is a special person, sees that he is responsible and all this stuff, so he gives him more responsibilities and everything. But he is still a slave. He does not have freedom. He does not have the choice to do what he wants. He is still at the mercy of his owner. Owner. And... Eventually what happens is the, the, the wife of Pontifar accuses Joseph falsely, falsely accuses him of assault. And Joseph is not even in a position really to where he can speak or be represented, represent himself fairly. His, his, his voice and his words don't count. So if somebody spreads a lie about him, he has really no defense. And what happens is he is thrown into prison for years. For nothing. So 
this is where Joseph has, has, his life has taken him, of a person that was loved by his father, and now he is in prison. And while he was in prison, he helped interpret uh, some, some dreams of some people that worked for Pharaoh. And one of them, two years later, eventually got Joseph, was able to mention Joseph to the Pharaoh himself, who was having at the time some disturbing dreams. And Joseph was able to tell him that what his dreams were telling Joseph was that there were going to be seven years of famine and that they needed to prepare for it. And Joseph being a person that when he was a teenager worked with livestock, agriculture, all of this kind of stuff, he knew that you had to plan ahead. You talk to any, any uh, uh, person in agriculture and they will say that you need to stock up, you need to plan for bad weather and all of this kind of stuff. You have to have a reserve. And that's what Joseph did. And by his words, as we talked about last Sunday, the Pharaoh said, I don't know anything about that, so I'm going to put you in charge of all of it. And suddenly... Joseph is in the highest rank next to the Pharaoh. He is in charge of all of the grain, the food, all of this kind of stuff, and being able to uh, reserve it and all of this stuff, and then, the, and then the famine hits. And all of the neighboring communities, all of the surrounding areas are starting to feel the hunger because of the famine. It's affecting uh, in, in their scope of things, it's affecting the world. And so Joseph is now in charge. He is a, uh, a, uh, dressed like a true Egyptian. He's, he's, he's an older man now, okay? He's, uh, well, not older. He's probably about 30 right now, around that, that age there. And he's got the, the, the Egyptian headdress and all of this kind of stuff. Uh, he's virtually unrecognizable from when he was a kid he's a, and, or when he was a slave. He is a man of great power now. His life has changed. But you know what? It's still, he has still been told, that's your position, and that's where you are, and this is who you're going, even going to marry. Uh, and he still misses his family. He still misses his father, Jacob, the one that loved him so much. He still misses his life. He, he is still a, an outcast in his heart to this, this culture, this, this, uh, this, this world that he lives in now. But he's doing his best to be in charge of all of this grain and people from neighboring communities, nomadic people, people from different campsites, all of this kind of stuff, are now coming to Egypt to purchase food because they're starving. Joseph, because of his smarts, he has spent much time preparing for the famine, and so they have a large surplus of grain and are not only able to feed the people of Egypt comfortably, but they're able to sell the grain that they have to these neighboring communities and to make even more money of, uh, of the things that they have. So uh, where we're at this day is that uh, Joseph is now, if you picture him, he's now 
it, it, basically, like there's, there's this, this grain over here, there's this silo, there's all this kind of stuff over here, and he is in charge, he's overseeing stuff, he speaks through interpreters and all of this kind of stuff to the different uh, cultures and people that come in, and he works out deals with them, he sells them grain, they come in with livestock and stuff, they, they make trades, they, they give money, uh, and he fills bags of grain for them, and they're able to take them home to their neighboring villages, all of this kind of stuff, and be able to, to survive and to eat. And for many of them, they'll eat this, but the, remember, this famine lasts a long time. And so they'll eat the, the, what they have, and many of them have to go back, just like we have to go to the store, many of them have to go back to Egypt, travel back to Egypt, and get more food as this goes on for more money. And so through this entire famine, Egypt is doing pretty well, thanks to Joseph and the things that the, the, the foresight that he had, the responsibility that he had of being able to plan ahead. He's been able to organize things and all this stuff, and, and he has been quite a benefit to the Egyptians because he's been able to make money for them. One group of people that are hurting right now is Joseph's family, Jacob and his sons. At this time, uh, many of his sons uh, are, are adults now and all of this. There's families involved and stuff. So, so the community of Jacob is not just Jacob and Joseph's 11 brothers. It is a, it's a community. And they're starving. They are hurting because of this famine. And word gets around that there are people in Egypt that are willing to sell their grain. And so Jacob tells his brothers, the very brothers that sold Joseph to the Egyptians, we got a real Jerry Springer thing happening here, but uh, he tells them that they need to go to Egypt and purchase the grain. And the Bible, uh, Genesis 42, 3 through 4, it says, so 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin. That was the youngest brother. He did not send Benjamin with his brothers, for he feared that harm might come to him. And so, now Joseph was governor over the land. It was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. The brothers do not recognize Joseph. And it makes sense because the last time that they saw him, he was a kid. And he is a grown man now. And he is dressed different. He's also in an environment that they, they wouldn't expect. They don't even know for sure if Joseph is alive. They just know that they sold him into a slave trade. They don't know what became of him. And so when they're coming here, it makes perfect sense that the person that they're seeing up there, they have no idea who he is. All they know is they're starving. All they know is that that person that they're seeing is one step down from the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh is in charge of everything. And they need grain. So they bow before him. And then Genesis 42.7 says, When Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke harshly to them. Now, 
Joseph was young, but his brothers were older. You know how you see people, like we have people in our church that, were, that are very young, and I know that when we start meeting in person again, they're going to look a little bit different. But I still look the same because I've kind of plateaued, I guess. And so the brothers have kind of done that. So Joseph, it's easy for him to say, oh, those are the guys that, those are my brothers. But it's harder for them to recognize him. So he speaks harshly to them because imagine this. Here is Joseph. He is in a world that he did not want. He is in a place that he did not want. And for years, we're not talking about a couple of months. We're talking about years. His life has forever changed. His choices have forever changed. His freedom has been stripped from him. And there in front of him, right now, in need of his services, are the very group of people that sent him away. All of the people, all of the times that he was in prison, all of the time that he was working as a slave, all of the time that he was false accused and sitting in his own filth, being treated so nastily, not knowing if his father is alive or dead, and that is the group of people that caused it. It'd be hard. It'd be hard to keep you cool, wouldn't it? Have you ever had somebody that just made you so angry and so filled with rage? Have you ever had somebody that has harmed you, that has hurt you? It's hard to not, the first instinct, the animalistic instinct that we have in our lives is we want to hurt them back. And we think that by hurting them back, we will achieve satisfaction. And that's exactly what Joseph did. He sees them, and he's speaking actually through an interpreter because he is speaking now, not Hebrew, he is speaking Egyptian so they don't even still recognize that he is the right person because they're not even hearing his voice. He is talking to an interpreter who is talking to them, and he says, you guys are spies. You have come here to spy on us. That is quite an insult, and that is quite a scary thing to be called because Egyptians, at the time, the Pharaoh was somebody that was treated as a god, and the Pharaoh had people that were enemies and people that would want to overthrow and people that were trying to annihilate and all of this kind of stuff, and so those paranoias were there, and so someone to be accused as a spy did not really have a strong future. If you were considered a spy, most of the time, that meant your death. You would be taken away. You would not be put on trial. You would be saying, you're a spy. I'm paranoid of this. Take them away. Remove the problem. And so the brothers, as soon as they hear this, are just trembling because they came just for food. They're already feeling weak. And, but now they're thinking, my life could end today. 
This could be it. The, the power, the person that is in charge is telling me that I'm a spy. And they beg and they plead with this person. They beg and plead with this person that they see in charge that they don't know is Joseph. They beg and plead for them. They say they're not spies. They are actually, and they tell the whole story of their father Jacob and the, person, the, the families that they live in. They came here just for food. They're not spies. They're just, they're just hungry. And Joseph says, No. You are spies. You have come to spy on us. And you know what? I'm going to put you all in prison. And for three days, for three days, he shoves them into a prison. And those prisons, not nice. It's not nice. It's not like you're going to go into the room of timeout. You're going to go, yeah, you don't have extended cable. You just have the basic plan. No, this is like terrible circumstances. And for three days, they are in prison. And Joseph is so full of emotion. What do you do? What do you do when you see the people that have done this tragic thing to you? What do you do with that anger? What do you do with that rage? What makes you feel better? Putting them in prison obviously did not make Joseph feel much better. He did not get satisfaction from this that he thought he would. So he brings them out, and he still accuses them of being spies. And he asks, is this all of you? And they say, well, no, we have a, our youngest brother is Benjamin. And he's at home with our father. And he says, your father still lives? And they said, yeah, he's at home with Benjamin. And they say, you guys are, you guys have to leave and you can't come back until you bring this Benjamin with you. Now they knew they knew that this would break Jacob's heart, and they knew that this would be terrible because the brothers knew that they had already, they had already told Jacob that their, his favorite son Joseph had been killed. They didn't tell him that they sold him. They said that he had been killed, and they saw the pain in, Joseph, in, in Jacob's eyes. They saw the mourning. They saw the grief that he lived with from then on that his favorite son had been killed as a youth. And now the only thing that he has, the next favorite son, is this Benjamin. They knew that they can't go to this person and say, we've been accused of being spies. We need to take him away from you too. They couldn't do this to their father. They had already felt horrible for what the things that they have done. And they're trembling and they're sad and they're scared. But they need to eat. They need food. And they know that this person that they don't recognize, they know that he's the one in charge. And so suddenly their freedom is in question. And Joseph says, give me that one. And he points to the second oldest, Simeon. And he bounds Simeon in front of them, has him tied up and taken to prison. And he says, Simeon does not come home 
until you bring me Benjamin. At this time, they've got to be shaken in their boots. They've got to be wondering what's going on. They're accused of spies. They came just here for food, and suddenly they're being accused of all of this kind of stuff. And now one of their brothers is gone. And you would think that Joseph is feeling quite a lot of satisfaction. He's feeling vengeful. He's feeling that that power return. He's giving his comeuppance back. But for some reason, Joseph is still not satisfied. It's not his nature to do this. When somebody is mean to you, being mean back to them sometimes is not our nature. The reason that we're not mean to people is because that's just not what we do. And Joseph is a person that that's just not what he did. And so to try to play at their game was was a foreign thing for him. Even though he was filled with all of this anger, all of this resentment, it was so hard for him to act the way that the brothers acted. And he's learning that you can't fight evil by just being evil. And so as the brothers, the ten of them now, leave, or nine of them, I guess, leave. He secretly filled their bags with grain, returned their money, and even gave them provisions for their journey. He couldn't be that mean to them. He could not send them home still starving. There was something inside of Joseph, even though he was so filled with rage, he couldn't, he couldn't leave them to their death. And so by the time that the brothers got home, they not only realized that they had the grain, that they were going to survive a little bit longer, but they realized that the money had been returned now. They had to have been confused at this time. And we were accused of spies. Simeon's in prison, but we get to make sandwiches. That's odd. But it's a famine. And they try to survive off the grain that they have. They don't want to bring Benjamin back. But eventually, they run out of food again. This is a long famine. And Jacob says, the famine was severe in the land. This is Genesis 43, 1, 2. And when they had eaten up the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go and buy us a little more food. And it's at that time that the brothers have to tell Jacob that if they want more food, They have to bring Benjamin. At this time, Jacob falls down and he is in mourning all over again. It's happening to him again. He knows that Simeon is in prison and he knows that if they go back that there is still going to be risk and trouble. He does not want to lose Benjamin again. And the older brothers are seeing their father grieving all over again. 
but they have no choice. Their freedom is lost. If they want to survive, they got to play this game. They have to play the game. And after much consoling and after arguing and debating, Jacob finally says, Take Benjamin. We've got to feed our community. Just watch after him. Please, watch after him. Be, for once, be responsible, you idiots, and just watch after one of them. And so they all go back. And they face this person again that they don't recognize. And the person sees them coming. And he sees Benjamin, his younger brother. For the first time in years, he's an adult now. And for a moment, there's, a, there's almost a feeling of joy. See, see, Benjamin was just a baby at the time that, that uh, Joseph was sold. So Benjamin played no part in this. Benjamin was also another one of the favorites. And so, to see Benjamin was joyful. And so, what does he do with this joyful feeling? He can't help himself. He, he grabs his, the, the translator and he tells them to tell the brothers to meet him in the great kind of hall because they're going to have a feast, a big feast, a, a feast worthy of a pharaoh. And so they, they get there and they realize that Simeon has been freed. And so they're all there and they're all enjoying this food and everything. And Joseph is confused at this time. He, he, he still has this anger, you see. He still has this, this fit of rage. But he's still being mysterious. He still does not want them to know who he is. He still is not talking about the actual feelings that he feels. All he knows is he has the rage, and what he continues to try to do is play their game. Their game is deceitful, it is criminal, it is um, evil, and he tries to fight this at their game. And so suddenly, he accuses Benjamin of stealing one of the precious silver cups that belongs in the Pharaoh's house. The Egyptians, the, 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 the very expensive jewel, he has it smuggled into Benjamin's bag of grain. And then he tells them, he tells them, that he is going to put Benjamin in prison. And suddenly the brothers, <laughs> the brothers are seeing they've done it again. They've lost now the other one. And they fall down and they are pleading with him. Take us, take us. They are pleading with him. You can't do this. And they talk about Jacob. They talk about the grief that he had, the mourning that he had, that this will kill this person. 
Joseph has been trying to stay mysterious and he's been trying to be uh, this person that plays this tough guy. But Joseph's never been the tough guy. Joseph's been a person that thinks with his heart and he sees the heart in other people. And so when they talk about the pain that they feel, he feels it. And he has to go away because he is emotional. He bursts out crying. His raw emotion finally breaks through. His ability to try to play this mysterious tough guy and do an eye for an eye kind of thing isn't working for him. And he loses it. The Bible says in Genesis 45, 1 through 3, Joseph could no longer control himself. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it. And the household of the Pharaoh heard it. He finally comes back to his brothers. And he realizes he can't be that guy. He can't pay evil for evil. He can't wish evil to another person. He is his own person. He is unique. He is himself. And the best thing that he can do for himself and the situation is to be his honest self. And he comes out crying and sobbing and says, I am Joseph. I'm your brother. To which everybody is stunned. And you know, sometimes as soon as you say something and put something in context, they start to recognize him. And by that time, everybody's in tears. Everybody's emotional. Everybody's sobbing and weeping. And Joseph realizes that he doesn't achieve satisfaction by hurting somebody because they hurt him. He achieves satisfaction by leading with his heart. And by being him himself and by forgiveness. And he tells his brothers, come, come to Egypt. Bring everybody to Egypt. Bring dad. Bring everybody here. And I will take care of you. He doesn't just welcome them or give them the grain back. He says, come, I will give you a plot of land and you will have everything that you need. That is what made Joseph so special for all those many years because he didn't play the game. We are so divided right now as a country and as people that we want to just, if somebody hates us, we want to hate them back. But what Joseph is trying to teach us here is that sometimes the hate back does not result in satisfaction. That if you want satisfaction, what Joseph did is he felt what he felt. He showed what he, he felt. And he gave an honest account of the way that he was feeling. And then he was able to move on as the person that he is, the noble person that he is. He knew that it was more important to love the soul of the person 
not to care for the, the, the behaviors. He, didn't, he never excused the behaviors for them. But he prayed for the soul of them. Sometimes when we hate somebody so much, what we're inside doing is we find ourselves praying for more hatred for them. And it doesn't correct the problem. The vaccine for hatred is love. The vaccine for evil is love. And what we are giving a shot of is asking God to help change the person. To ask them to help heal that person of their hatred, of their villainy, of their evilness, of their bad behaviors. Another person in history, this is uh, February. Last, this is, is this the last day of February? The last day of, of uh, Black History Month. I talked about Harriet Tubman um, last week, I think. This is somebody that if you uh, so desire to learn about one of the strongest people in history and one of the most faithful people in history, I invite you to do some research and to read more about Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman freed about 300 slaves. She escaped from slavery herself. She was tough and she was relentless. She did everything that she could to free people from the bondage that they were in. Continually going back from the north to the south, risking her own life, endangering her own life to bring people to freedom. She saved many, many lives. And she also prayed, prayed for the people that persecuted her. It's an amazing thing of spiritual maturity when we uh, do no longer sit on the side of, I'm, well, you hate me, I'm just going to hate you. You've treated me bad, I'm going to treat you bad. There's a spiritual maturity that we get in our lives where we realize that that doesn't work. And what works is for praying for people. This is an actual quote from Harriet Tubman. She's talking about, uh, she had a, uh, for lack of a better word, to use their vernacular, a master, an owner somebody that treated her and many of the other people around her viciously, viciously. She said, I didn't do nothing but pray for old master. Oh, dear Lord, change that man's heart and make him a Christian. That's what was important to her. Change his heart and make him a Christian because that would relieve him from whatever he's doing to cause people harm. But then I changed my prayer because he continued to be a jerk. She said, Lord, if you ain't never going to change that man's heart, kill him, Lord, and take him out of the way so he won't do more mischief. The next thing I heard, old master was dead. And he died just as he lived, a wicked, bad man. At that point, at that point, Harriet realized that if we continue to treat people with throwback, hatred for hatred, violence for violence, we just continue to fuel that, and there is no chance, there is no chance for change. 
There is no chance. We are continually closing doors rather than opening. And she says, I would give the world full of silver and gold if I had it to bring that soul back. I would give myself. I would give everything. But he was gone. I couldn't pray for him no more. One of the biggest, one of the things that Harriet Tubman grieved was that she couldn't change the heart of a person that abused her. She, one of the things that she regrets is that, all she, that for a moment she wanted harm to be done on him rather than pray for his very soul. I challenge us today to think about our lives differently. If we are on this side, I challenge us not to just read the highlights and and hate the people on the other side. I challenge us to pray for their hearts to change. I challenge us to pray for their well-being. I challenge us when we can to forgive. This doesn't mean that while Harry was praying for him, that she would, she would have gone back to him. There is still safety. There are still uh, uh, boundaries that we create. But I challenge us to continue to pray for everybody that their souls be lifted, that their hearts change, that we all, all feel love. I challenge us. Amen. Every one of us wants to feel appreciated, and every single one of us wants to feel loved, and every one of us wants to feel satisfied. Hatred is not the key to that. Hatred will never achieve satisfaction, true satisfaction. Love God, love yourself, love your neighbor. It's the challenging thing to do, but it will give you satisfaction. Amen.